a Podcast One production. Okay, are you ready? Yes, absolutely. Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. <laughs> Hello, and oh no. <laughs> it's early in the morning. <laughs> oh, that was oh, gross. I think that's the first time you've ever, <laughs> you've ever had a slip up. This is because I'm making you do it at 9am. I'm sorry. Brutal <laughs> okay. schedule of a podcaster. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find worthy of bringing up at a dinner party at some point in the future. This week it is Rosie's turn and I'm very excited to hear what it is she's serving this week. Because well, first of all, you're very excited because it's Thursday and I was meant to do it on Monday and then I put it off to Tuesday and mm-hmm. then I put it off to Wednesday and <laughs> now it's Thursday. So my bad. Um, I totally uh, overestimated my ability to be organised when moving states. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, okay, so this is one that I watched a documentary about it a couple years ago and was obsessed with it and it's been on my Just the Gist list since we started Mm. and I cannot believe the coincidence that I wrote it, researched it, got it ready for this week and then last Sunday night it was a story on 60 Minutes. And I can't even. And I called you and I said, there is absolutely no chance you're watching television because you don't. But if you are, do not watch 60 Minutes because my story's on. (laughs) So, um... You, if you watched 60 Minutes last week, you might have uh, watched uh, the story about these guys, but I am doing the story of three identical strangers. It's the story of three triplets who were separated and adopted out at birth and then accidentally found each other when they were 19 years old. That is so funny because I started watching this documentary one day on Netflix, but I was too hungover yeah. to pay attention to it. So I gave up after like five <laughs> minutes. So you are going to save yeah. me from having to actually watch the whole thing. No, but when you hear this, you'll want to watch it. That's the uh, thing. Like I'm going to give you just the gist and it is so crazy that you're going to gonna you're gonna want to go and watch it. It's nutso. Mm-hmm. So that is what we are talking about today. But... First, <gasps> breaking news, a breaking news. I got the scoop. A C X-ray, X-ray. Read all about it. A breaking news. Do-do-do-do-do. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a very good one. <laughs> it was pretty chipper considering it's nine a.m. for you, but it's eight thirty for me. So, yeah. because oh well, this is breaking news. I'm in Adelaide. Mm. I decided because COVID seems to be having this second wave and it started spreading a bit more and a bit more in Sydney. And um, as people know, my boyfriend Caleb lives in Adelaide and I thought I got scared they were going to close the borders. Mm. And so I found a flight that I could use points on. And so I jumped ship. Smart move. I just I bailed out. I bailed out on Sydney. So I came here to Adelaide and it's very strange because um, they're South Australia's had hardly any COVID. Like, they're managing it, I guess, like, really well. Mm. So they're very strict about who can come in. And so I'm, like, under strict quarantine Mm -hmm. for two weeks. Caleb has had to go stay at his parents' house while I stay at his house by myself because you're not allowed to be around anyone. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. Like, there was hardly anyone on the plane. It was, like, basically an empty plane. And then got off the plane in Adelaide and they take you, instead of going up to where the exit is, they take you down to like this basement area and there's just this long row of desks with police sitting behind each one and you have to go up to a policeman and like they go through this whole like thing with you, like you're not allowed out and we're going to come check on you and like all these rules and they give you all this stuff and they give you this sheet that um, if you come into contact with anyone like the taxi driver who drove me from the airport to my house, you have to put their name and number on the sheet so they can track them down if you test positive. So it's up to you to keep a record of everyone you come in contact with? Yes. Wow. They give you a sheet to fill out. And it's really awkward asking people to fill like to because they're like, why have you got it? And it's like, no, I just 
came from a poisoned state, so I might, but uh, hopefully not. (laughs) They do normally test at the airport, but because it was quite late at night, they weren't doing the testing at the airport. So then the next day I had to go into a local testing place, get tested, the thingy up my nose. So I got an Uber there and an Uber back which they said I was allowed to do if I got the details. Mm. And now I'm not allowed to leave the house for 12 days. And then in 12 days, I have to get another test. And then if that test also comes back negative on the 15th day, I'm free. I'm allowed out. <sighs> okay. I know. The things <laughs> it's you do for love. Oh, wow. God, tell me about it. Mm. I am kind of psyched though, because Caleb just bought this house. And so it's... He very kindly left it just a mess of boxes and unpacked things, which I'm thrilled about because I've got two weeks where he's not here and I'm just going to decorate it exactly how I want. (laughs) Are you going to remove all of the um, model ship replicas or are you just going to work around them? Yes, for those of you who don't know, my boyfriend is called the Young Fogey. He's like a 50-year-old man in a 20s body and... This whole house, of the things that he has unpacked, his model boats, um, his, like, uh, antique radios, um, his, like, antique wooden furniture, some paintings on the walls of, like, Adelaide, because he loves Adelaide. And, yeah, and he's unpacked his wine because he loves his wine. But he's... Caleb has a very particular taste, So, no, I will not be able to get rid of those things, but I will be able to integrate my flair into the house. We can't wait to see pictures of the finished product when you've mixed all the Polly Pockets and Troll Dolls in with the antique radios. (laughs) I like a lot of colour and he likes a lot of wood and mahogany. And there was one shelf in the whole house that I liked this kind of shelf with different kind of shapes. You know those display shelves that kind of have different uh, shaped shelves and you put yep. stuff, like they look cool to display your stuff. That was the one thing, the first thing on the phone he said to me, he goes, we're not keeping that thing in the living room. I know you, I'll know you like it. <laughs> and I said, why? And he goes, I hate it. <laughs> so I was like, that was the one modern thing in the house that I liked. <laughs> So, yeah, that's what's happening. My cat's coming over in two weeks. No, three Mm -hmm. weeks. So my sister's looking after my cat in Sydney. If anybody knows where I can get eyelash extensions in Adelaide, help a sister out (laughs) because these babies, I got them done just before I left, which means when I get out of ISO, they're going to need a refill. So locking down the important contacts in the city. (laughs) And where are you? Now I am currently on the Cassowary Coast in Where a place that? called Mission Beach. So it's called the Cassowary Coast because it's like the little hub of where Southern Cassowaries live. Um, and they make out like they would just be littering the place like pigeons. But um, there's only about 1,200 Oh, a cassowary's a bird. They are. They're like a big gay oh. emu. So think of if an emu learnt to accessorise and use makeup and they started wearing a hat and blue eyeshadow and started wearing a big red scrotum (laughs) necklace. Um, That's basically what So they would have made the emu way more stylish. Oh, absolutely, yes. And possibly more lethal as well. They can, well, I think emus can do this as well, totally disembowel an animal with this giant, like, eight-centimetre hook on its feet. Oh, well, because birds are dinosaurs. They're just, they're just modern dinosaurs. Correct. And um, yesterday I finally bumped into one. It was a very close encounter. I immediately hid behind trees. I'll send you the video that I took <laughs> where I, sort of I poked my phone in between the trees while I was trying to just hide from view. No, thanks. No, thanks. No, thanks. Um, gosh. So we're on opposite ends of places. We sure are. I'm roaming tropical rainforests and um, beaches and then dialing in for a podcast with my friend in Radelaide. And I'm surrounded by model boats and antique radios. (laughs) Oh, I will say, because my mum is so cranky that I only ever make jokes about her on this podcast. She did something so lovely Mm. because she knew I was coming here 
and she knew that um, she knows about Caleb's aesthetic tastes and that there's model boats everywhere. And so in order for me to have something in the house that would kind of integrate with him, my mum went on eBay and found an old school, you know, those old school toys made of tin? Yeah. She found an old school tin model of the Titanic. Oh, <laughs> so, so I can have my own little model boat oh, in the house. Gorgeous. <laughs> Isn't that sweet. I know. She is a sweetheart. Like, Thanks, Mama Lisa. Thank Send you. me a photo. I will. Well, I haven't got it yet. She's got it. Got sent to her house. She's going to send it here. So mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I get to build it. Oh. And apparently, there's a little. There's a little like. Um, light globe in it that makes it like light up. I'm just, I'm very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Although I've looked at pictures and I already know that it's not like, um, you know, correct mm-hmm. in terms of ratios oh, and, okay. you know, <laughs> I've got some issues, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, other breaking news. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember Breaking news is just all about us this week. (laughs) Well, we do say that it's the breaking news that I think is important enough to tell you. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) lol, it's usually about me. Um, Caleb, I don't know if you remember a few months ago when he first came to stay with me because he's such a young fogey, wrote a letter to the local council um, because he was so um, disheartened Mm. that the Inner West Council of Sydney didn't have um, uh, recyclable bins for food scraps. Mm-hmm. Compost, yeah. And so he wrote a letter to the, yes, like, and so apparently that's a thing. And I was like, no, we don't have that. And he couldn't believe it. So he wrote a letter to the local council and somebody emailed um, the Just The Gist email, justthegistpodcast at gmail.com. And they've sent a letter around to everyone in the inner west saying that in within the next few months they're going to implement compost bins for everyone <laughs> in the local council area. Oh, wow. Slow claps for Caleb Bond. That's fantastic Caleb news. Bond. <laughs> so, I, but then he tweeted about it and then someone was like, ugh, they've been trialling those in the inner west for ages. And he was like, well, not where I was. Like, so... He's choosing to believe that he affected this change all on his own. So, <laughs> well done, Caleb. I'll buy that. Oh, people think I'm on The Masked Singer. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've so many people get in touch with me about whether or not I'm on The Masked Singer. <laughs> and I will just say that if I was, according to my contract... I would not be allowed to tell you. Mm. So. Can you explain the premise of that show? Because I genuinely <laughs> have absolutely no idea. I just know that Lindsay Lohan was on it and I think. Well, she was a judge. Right. So The Masked Singer is a show where celebrities or sort of semi-D-listers, which is why I would possibly be on it right. uh, in an elaborate costume, like literally no way of telling who the person is. And they come out on stage and they sing in this costume and the three, no, there's four judges have to try and guess who the person is behind the costume. Uh-huh. Just and based then each week, off their voice. Right. Yes, just based off their voice. And each week someone gets, uh, or every couple of episodes, someone gets eliminated um, and then they, like, reveal. And so the whole audience and the judges all go, take it off, Take it off, take it off. And the celebrity turns around, dramatically pulls the mask off and then you find out who it is. And um, and then, yeah, that's The Masked Singer. And it sounds like the most ridiculous, stupid show, but it is actually just so joyous and wonderful to be a part of. I mean, oops, watch. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just... Just amazing, simple, fun, awesome TV hosted by Osha. Like, it's just the best. It's oh, funny. Right. It's silly. It's camp. It's, like, awesome. And why do they think you're on it? Um, I don't know. I've just had so... I think because the one that most people keep getting in touch with me about is um, someone dressed up as, like, this kitty. And people know that I'm, like, obsessed with Hello Kitty and Polly Pockets and that kind oh. of thing. So they think that one's me. But I'm also a little bit sus that people keep thinking 
the ones that like there could be a fat person under me, like because there's also this giant kind of bulbous cactus that they also think <laughs> is me. So like, all the round shaped ones, people are like, oh, that could be Rosie. <laughs> So, yeah, a few people have just said they think it sounds like me. It could be me. They've heard me sing a little on the podcast or whatever. Because that's the thing. You also don't have to be a great singer. Caveat. Like, a lot of these celebrities aren't singers. It's like sports stars and whatever. Okay. So, they kind of teach them to sing a tune, but not all of them are great. Like, mm. they all they can all sing a song, but, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. So... You know, I just, I wouldn't be allowed to say, would I? And if you're not on this season, then maybe you'll be invited on for next season. Because it sounds like this is a show with great longevity. I don't think you can do two in a row. So, oh, oh, I mean, maybe (laughs) I will. (laughs) I think that's all my breaking news. Oh, Bachelor started last night. People probably want me to say something about that. Um, I like him. He seems nice and funny. Yeah. Have they gone with like nerdy again no. or have they gone back oh, no, to they've, personal trainers? The pendulum has completely swung back. Literally this guy is, he was on, he was a contestant on Survivor. I was turned off in the promos because he's one of those guys who has um, tats. He's got a lot of tats, but he's got from one shoulder to the other across the front of his chest. I think it says in cursive writing, like, uh, pride and honor, uh, you know, those kind. Yeah. And so when I saw it in the promos, I was like, ew, I hate you. Ugh. Mm. But he's actually really sweet and lovely and funny. Um, he seems really down to earth and cool. And, um, but yeah, just, I don't know. It was, it's just regular bachelor nonsense. The first step was last night. There were some crazies. There were some obvious wifeys. You can already tell who the top four are going to be. Mm. Yeah. That's that's that really. Everyone wants us to recap it, but <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We've got much more interesting things to talk about. Yeah, so should we get to it? We should, but one of my friends has joined QAnon. I finally <gasps> have a fallen soldier it, no. in my life. Yes. So I've like just sort of oh my God, avoided it up until now, but then all of a sudden one of my friends and like I've known her since primary school, yeah. she started posting all of this stuff online and I just wasn't paying attention to Explain it. Explain to people what QAnon is if they don't know. Basically it's a group of people who believe in the, the word, the prophecies, the um, statements that are made by some anonymous person called Q who they believe is very, very high up in the US government and who they believe is also part of some secret underground movement that's going to help overthrow all the different government agencies around the world and establish a new world order. They believe crazy stuff. Like these are the people who believe that Hillary Clinton was the leader of a satanic pedophile ring run out of a small pizza shop in New York City. Like they believe crazy stuff. Yes. They like believe that COVID vaccinations are a, a conspiracy. They're nuts. These people are nuts. Yeah. Pete Evans is very, he posts a lot of QAnon stuff yeah. on his Instagram. And that says a lot, doesn't it? There's a faction of them, I believe, that um, subscribe to this belief system that there are certain people, in inverted commas, on the planet who are star seeds, who are actually planted here by an alien race from the fifth dimension who are all about to be <laughs> awoken in the next six or so weeks. So anyway, this friend of mine six has or so gone weeks? deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't have to wait too long to find out if they're right okay, or they're I'm gonna wrong. Okay, I'm going to need you to keep track of that. And keep us posted. Because I want to know. So this friend of mine has very generously started posting regular updates so that she can spread the word about the fact that this great awakening is coming so that people are less shocked when the day actually arrives and the star seeds are awoken and all of Q's <gasps> prophecies come true and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, it's it's Like it's what? What updates? What watch. is she saying? Well, that's the thing. It's all so incredibly vague, but most of it up until this point has been talking about the fact that the pandemic is fake and yeah. it's all been a big stitch up to try to sort of rattle the establishment so that then it's easier to topple it. Stop it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish someone on my Facebook was in QAnon. I would love it. Mm-hmm. 
um, I can start forwarding the things to you. Yep. Oh, my God. It's so just sad, though, isn't it? How do people... How I don't understand how people fall into it. It is hard. I mean, I do. If you listen, if you listen to Rabbit Hole, mm. that um, podcast we've mentioned before, they break down how easy it is for people to. But still, when it's someone you know, you're like, no, mm. stupid, stop. Well, like for example, she was quoting. You know, when those doctors came out a few weeks ago, and there was in particular one doctor from somewhere in Africa who was saying that she had treated all of these COVID patients with that hydroxy mm. Watsy thing um, and it was successful and she believes that we should just be administering that to everyone, blah, 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 blah. And so many people were saying, this is a doctor and she's being silenced. Well, yes, that doctor also has very publicly stated that anyone who masturbates is possessed by a demon and she believes that yes. she can cure them of that demon. <laughs> so, And also Donald Trump endorses and quotes that doctor all the time. Yes. So, yeah. Um, oh, good Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That is the best breaking news ever. <laughs> I Keep finally got one. Please, I did not on. think I would have one in my circle, but I no, do. That is, I don't. I Well, not that I, because I hardly ever go on Facebook, really, but, oh, my goodness. I, yeah. I'm, gonna, and I'm actually going to go through and have a look and see. It caused a bit of a stir because you know how my phone was out of action for 48 hours. When I turned yeah. it back on, I had messages from three different people saying, Oh my God, has so-and-so joined a cult? And then I was like, She's just gone down got online and started end. looking. And I was like, is she trying to start a cult? Oh, it took a little <sighs> bit of unraveling and Googling the hashtags to figure out, Oh, QAnon. Oh, oh. You and on. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Oh, that was good breaking news. All right. Well, that was breaking news. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Into the story of this week. Mm. Um, I'm calling it Three Identical Strangers because that's what the documentary is called. Mm-hmm. So I'll start. Mm-hmm. I'll set the picture for you. It's 1980. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Taffeta, big hair, uh, <laughs> shoulder pads, cocaine, etc. Um, a 19-year-old kid called Bobby turns up for his first day of college and as he's walking in, people are acting like they know him, like they're coming up to him and saying, oh, my God, hey, welcome back. It's so great to see you. Girls are literally running up to him and kissing him. And he notices that a lot of people are calling him Eddie and he's like, what the what? And he gets to his dorm room and another guy comes knocking at the door like, oh, my gosh, Eddie, you said you weren't coming back. And Bobby turns around and this guy looks at him and just turns white. And this guy who'd knocked on the door had been this Eddie's good friend. And so when Bobby turns around, he looks at him and he knows, okay, that looks exactly like Eddie, but that is not Eddie. And so he knew Eddie was adopted. So he says to Bobby, were you adopted? And Bobby's like, yeah. And he goes, oh my God, you have a twin and I know him. Mm-hmm. And so they freak out and they run out to a phone box because it's 1980 and they call Eddie And this guy is like, Eddie, Eddie, I'm here at college with your twin. You have a twin. And so Eddie and Bobby are on the phone to each other and they're like, you know, were you adopted? Yes. What's your date of birth? June 12th, 1961. Oh, my God, me too. What adoption agency were you adopted through? Louise Wise Adoption Agency. Oh, my God, we're twins. And so um, Bobby and this guy get into a car and drive hours and hours through the night to get to Eddie's house and they arrive in the middle of the night and Eddie is up waiting for them and they go inside and meet and they are identical, identical twins. And there's a photo of them that night when they met and they're standing in profile, like facing each other, looking at each other and they Mm -hmm. are just, and they're laughing like they can't believe it. They are twins. Mm -hmm. Um, And apparently, like, they just couldn't stop laughing and, like, they moved the same way and they talked the same way. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, oh, my God, we had no idea. Like, um, Eddie's mum there said they never told us you were a twin. Like, we didn't know when we adopted you. And so it becomes a big news story in the local area. 
and a journalist hears about it. So he does a story on them, which kind of ends up in newspapers all over the country because it's one of those like cool novelty human interest stories, like long lost twins find each other. Yeah. Um, and another woman is reading the story in New York and she's like, oh my God, those boys look exactly like my friend David, who was adopted. Mm-hmm. So she takes the newspaper to David's house and he and his family are like, ONFG, like, that's you. Like, they're not twins, they're triplets, like triplets. Mm-hmm. And so they had phone books back then. So David looks up the name of um, Eddie, calls it and speaks to Eddie's mother. And he's like, yeah, they're not just twins. I'm the third. And he said Eddie's mum dropped the phone and he just heard her yell, they're coming out of the woodwork. (laughs) So they're just like, what the hell is happening? So they all arrange to meet. And family members later said that the second they met, they just ran to each other and hugged each other and started rolling around on the floor like puppies together, just like wrestling (laughs) and hugging. Like they had literally, yeah, like they literally had been separated at birth and now they were just like slotting back in together. Uh And what was amazing is that they had all grown up within about 100 miles of each other, so all in the same area. Uh Um, Now, once... News came out that not only had long lost twins found each other, but they were actually triplets. The story just blew wide open and kind of became whatever the 1980s version of like viral was. So they were on the cover of every magazine and every newspaper and they were on every talk show and there were in like live interviews with them that filled concert halls. Like people were fascinated with them and because they, it is so eerie to watch, like, cause they dressed in identical outfits to kind of play it up when they were on mm. TV and stuff but they moved exactly the same way. Like they would cross their legs at exactly the same time and they talked exactly the same way and they they finished each other's sentences. Like it was kind of like a freak show thing to watch them. Like mm. it was weird. Um, and it turns out that they had studied the same stuff in high school. They had all done wrestling for sport. They all liked exactly the same foods. They all smoked the same cigarettes. They had the same taste in women. Like their girlfriends all looked the same. Um, And people were just so fascinated by them that they became quite famous, like this kind of national phenomenon. And they moved into an apartment together in New York City and said pretty much from the second they found each other, they just every day, every night going out together all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, They partied a lot because they were kind of treated like celebrities. They even had a cameo in the movie Suddenly Seeking Susan with Madonna. Like she's walking down the street and she walks into a building and there's these three identical triplets sitting on a stoop, kind of like ogling her. Yeah. You mean desperately seeking Susan. Oh, what did I say? Suddenly Susan is a 90s sitcom starring Brooke Shields. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Um, Desperately seeking Susan. And like even one of them got appendicitis and he didn't have insurance. So the other one pretended... So he pretended to be one with insurance so that he could get his appendix out for free. Like they just had all these cute stories and it was very funny Mm. and they just couldn't (laughs) believe how lucky they were. It was like this fairy tale. But during this time, while they're off partying and having fun and being famous, their parents were pissed off because they had not been told, none of them had been told that they were adopting a triplet. They had all been told that the boys were just single boys. And so all six parents went to a meeting together at the Louise Wise Adoption Agency to Mm. be like, what the F? Mm. And in that meeting, the adoption staff told them that they had separated the boys because it was way too hard to find a family willing to take three babies at once, Mm. which all the parents thought was bullshit because they were all like, we would never have split them up if you had told us. We would have taken them. We would have taken all three. But that's what the adoption agency said. That's the reason they gave. So so the parents were just like, oh, okay, and they kind of left. But David's dad ran back in to get his umbrella, and when he was in there, he saw them all cheesing each other with champagne like they had gotten away with something and they were relieved. Like he said, it was a very weird scene to walk in on and they seemed a bit shocked when they saw him. Um, The triplets 
off the back of their fame, meanwhile, open a restaurant in New York City called Triplets. <laughs> and it's it's like a major tourist attraction, um, you know, kind of kitschy. Like, uh, uh, it's a lot of work for them, though, because people go there to see the triplets. And they're very yeah. handsome. Like, so they were kind of sex symbols as well. and But people wanted to be, like, served by the triplets. They wanted photos with the triplets. So they all had to be there all the time. They start to live their lives as well. Like all three of them get married. They start having kids. They move into houses pretty much in the same street. Um, the restaurant does over a million dollars in its first year. So it's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then in the mid nineties, so it's been around 13, 14 years since they first found each other when they were 19, a very famous writer and journalist called Lawrence Wright, you know, he, um, he wrote The Looming Tower, which is about 9-11, which is very famous. And he also wrote Going Clear, the kind of definitive book about Scientology, like oh. blowing all of that kind of wide open. And then there was a documentary made based on Going Clear. Yeah. yeah. So Lawrence Wright is like Pulitzer winning investigative journalist and writer. Mm-hmm. He starts investigating for an article he's writing about uh, identical twins who have been separated and raised differently, separately. Mm -hmm. And while researching, he comes across this obscure scientific article in some random psychological journal. And it references a secret study in which twins and triplets are separated on purpose, Mm -hmm. adopted out to different families so that they could be studied. Mm-hmm. And all the twins and triplets in that psychological study came from the Louise Wise Adoption Agency. Wow. Um, Was there a lot of them? Yes. Uh-huh. So Lawrence Wright, well, they, yeah, I'll get to that. Lawrence Wright, he knows about the triplets because they're famous. Mm. So he gets in touch with them and tells them about the study and they're really pissed off because they're like, we could have been together, but we weren't for a science experiment. Mm. Like they treated like they treated us like lab rats. And they said that stu- stuff made sense to them in hindsight when they found out because from when they were adopted out to their families when they were six months old. And from that point until they were teenagers, they had been studied. Like people had come to their houses and done psychological tests on them, which their parents had been told when they adopted them that if they wanted to adopt from the Louise Wise Agency, they had to agree to have their child followed and studied into adolescence, but just as part of a standard looking into how adopted children grow and develop kind of study. And the parents were like, oh, you know, okay, like we're happy to help, like anything to sort of understand more about adoption and Mm -hmm. yes fine and so every kind of few months from the time they were six months old to the time they were teenagers these people would come to their house and get them to do tests like you know matching up when they were little it was like matching up shapes and throwing balls stuff to do with hand-eye coordination IQ like all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and then as they got older the tests became sort of more complicated um you know the What's it called? The ink blot, Rorschach? Rorschach, yeah. Rorschach, like mm-hmm. they had to do that kind of stuff. And so they remembered doing all these studies, but they had no, like the parents had no idea what the study was actually about. Mm. And so the study, like what was it about? Lawrence Wright found out that it was designed and led by a psychiatrist called Dr. Peter Neubauer. And it was apparently from what he from what Lawrence Wright could sort of gather meant to study the effects of nature versus nurture so is your biology your destiny do your genes mean that like you're destined to be a certain person no matter what or like can nurture change that and Dr. Neubauer kind of figured if we can put identical siblings who you know are genetically exactly the same Mm. into different families we can solve the question of nature versus nurture once and for all Mm. And here's where things get even more effed up. In order to study that, they had to purposefully put the boys into three socioeconomically different families. So Mm -hmm. David's parents were working class, pretty poor. They were immigrants. They owned a little shop and they struggled to get by. 
Eddie's parents were middle class. His dad was a teacher. They, you know, were comfortable. They did okay. Mm-hmm. Bobby's parents were affluent, very wealthy, both well-educated. His dad was a very prominent physician. Mm-hmm. But it gets even more effed up than that. So not only had they split them according to socioeconomic class, they also split them according to parenting styles. So David, although he was from the poorest family, had the most loving, hands-on, affectionate parents. Mm -hmm. And in fact, his dad became like a dad to the other two boys when they all met each other. He said, I now have two more sons. Mm -hmm. Bobby, who was from the most affluent family, his parents were often pretty absent because of work, Mm -hmm. but they were still very devoted to him. Like they were loving, devoted parents, but they were gone a lot. Like they weren't super Mm hands-on. Eddie, who was from the middle-class family, unfortunately got the shitty parents. Like, his dad was awful. He was a strict disciplinarian. He was very traditionally masculine, no emotions allowed, no emotional closeness or obvious love or affection. He was basically pretty abusive. Mm -hmm. And I can see your confused face because the question is, how would they know the parenting style of each set of parents? Exactly what I was going to ask, yes. Before, yes, before they send them there. Here's where it gets even more effed up. They studied the parents first. So each of the triplets had an adopted older sister three years older than them who had come from, where else? The Louise Wise Adoption Agency. Uh And they had placed that girl with each of those three families so that Dr. Neubauer could spend three years studying how they raised that daughter. And then at the exact same point, they then sent the three boys in once they'd gathered enough data about their parenting styles. So these boys, their lives had been a science experiment before they were even conceived, before they were even born. And was this all sanctioned by the government or was this all done sort of hush, hush, underground well, yes. privately? I don't know if, it, I don't know about the government, but I mean, they talked to a research assistant um, who's, you know, in her eighties now, but at the time she was just a research assistant for Dr. Neubauer and she's kind of dismisses. She's just like, it was the fifties. It was the sixties. You know, when we started, nobody cared. We were just excited. Psychology was exciting. This was going to be breaking ground. We were going to fight. Like she just, she obviously doesn't care and said that they didn't even think about it. They (laughs) thought they would, they, Dr. Neubauer apparently thought that he was doing something amazing for children by studying this, not the children who were at the hands of the study, I guess. But so, but I mean, Bobby says it's some Nazi level shit. No kidding. You've intentionally yeah. put a child into an abusive household just yeah. to see what they happens. Knew. They knew. Yeah. So here we go. <laughs> they also didn't remove Dave- the sister if they knew that there was abuse taking uh-huh. place. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is bad. Yeah. So David and Bobby both say in the documentary, like you were studying us from when we were babies and the same people were going around to each house doing the tests with the kids. Like, how could you know that you had just seen our brothers and not tell us Mm. like, what kind of psychopath does that Mm. splits us apart? And they knew it was messing with them from the start. So all three boys, their parents said that when they were babies, they would bang their heads against the sides of their cribs until they fell asleep because for six months they were together. Like Mm. they were adopted out at six months old. So can you imagine like being that close to two other babies for six months and then all of a sudden being ripped apart from Mm. them? Like I look at Rihanna and my sister, her twins now who are, 18 months old and they are so close. They fall asleep Mm. holding hands. Mm. Like you can't, I don't think it's measurable how much that separation would mess with a little kid. Oh yeah. They've been together literally since the moment of conception. Mm. It would be extreme. And it's also like, so I've done a lot of stuff with my psychiatrist about what um, early childhood abuse and neglect does to the brain Mm. because, you know, my parents were, you know, my dad had schizophrenia and my mum had bipolar. They were both addicts. And so there was a lot of 
neglect going on. But particularly my mum took off when I was a few weeks old Mm. and left me with my dad and she was gone for quite a while. And um, my psychiatrist said, like, that is a crucial time of brain development for a baby Mm. and to be neglected and, um, and left by your primary caregiver or by the person who you're meant to feel love and connection to at that time, it actually causes brain injury. Mm. Like it causes your brain to develop differently to what it otherwise would if you felt safe and secure Mm -hmm. at that time. And so for those, I think it's the same with those three boys, even though it wasn't a parent, although they already had been split from their birth mother, Mm. but being split from each other would have caused just permanent their brains to develop differently, permanent brain injury. Like it's awful. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe they didn't understand that sort of thing back at the time, but that's obviously instantly Mm. compromised the whole study that they were doing, which maybe you're going to tell me a little bit later on, but I'm very curious to know what did we actually gain from this? What did we learn? Yes, I'll tell you. Uh So like for the twins, uh, for the triplets, sorry, finding this all out was a, a real blow. Um, and meanwhile, aside from the study, things weren't going well between them anyway. So they say in hindsight, going into business together was a bad idea. Like they started to clash a lot. They had different kind of work ethics. Um, they interview like their parents and their family members and stuff in the documentary. And they say that while they instantly fell in love with each other, when they first met, they didn't have the benefit of growing up together like Mm. siblings do. And so, you know, they'd never learned how to live with each other or know each other or or fight with each other. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I can fight with my sister now and then call her that afternoon and we're fine. Like they didn't have that kind of connection. Mm. Um, So they started to really clash and Bobby left the business. And then David's dad, the one who was incredibly loving and, and, treated the all three boys like his sons and he kind of um was the glue that kept the three of them together when they started to argue he um died mm-hmm. and so that kind of was a major blow and all of it really got to Eddie and Eddie was the one who'd been raised in the abusive household and he had loved finding a new family and a new home amongst this group more than any of them like apparently being connected, living near each other, family events, all of it was so important to him. And when the business started going badly and uh, David's dad died and the brothers started fighting, in 1995, Eddie takes his own life. Oh, no. Yes. His wife says, in hindsight, that um, he was quite clearly bipolar, like he had extreme highs and extreme lows, Mm. erratic behaviour, And the pain of, you know, having friction in the new family he'd created with his brothers was just too much Mm. for him. And so I think here that this study has now effectively ended in someone's death. Yeah. Like if the start point was splitting triplets apart at six months old, Mm -hmm. that has now led directly to Eddie taking his own life creating multiple traumas and obviously not with yes. the right sort of supervision and guidance to even identify the fact that he had bipolar and yep. suicidal ideations, massive, massive ethical um, mm-hmm. misstep. So you asked, what was the study for? Mm. Why? What? What is the purpose? What are the findings? It is still not actually officially known because... In 1980, when the study finished, so that was the year the boys found each other, Mm. Dr. Neubauer refused to publish any results and he had all the records sealed in the vault at the Yale University Library with legal instructions that they cannot be unsealed until 2066. (laughs) So it's speculated that he did this because the study ended up being quite disturbing and he knew he could be vilified for it. Uh And, you know, nobody does a study for more than 20 years and then doesn't release the findings unless they really don't want anybody to see the findings. Oh, yeah, he's got some to hide, for sure. Right. Um, And also I think it's no coincidence that that's the year 
uh, the triplets found each other and it came out in the news and Dr. Mm. Neubauer was probably like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Um, 2066 <laughs> also means that nobody in the study technically will be alive to see the records when they're unsealed. Mm. Um, so Dr. Neubauer died in 2008 without ever speaking about it. Convenient. Um, there's different theories on what the study was actually about. So there's a couple of researchers in the documentary who were part of the study back when it happened. So that research assistant that I mentioned and this other guy who was one of the guys who went around to the houses doing the studies on the boys. Both of them are incredibly unapologetic, by the way, just very pragmatic scientists who don't seem to care like they seem more excited about the study than they do about than than guilty about what it caused using human beings as guinea pigs babies yeah as guinea yeah. pigs and they've got no yeah. remorse yeah oh it's, it's gross so um i mean but both those researchers who they interview in the documentary insist that the study was strictly about the question of nature versus nurture, like to finally definitively get an answer to that question. Mm. But there is also speculation by the journalist Lawrence Wright and other identical siblings who found each other and found out that they were part of the study, Mm. that it was actually a study about the hereditary nature of mental health. Uh So doing research on a bunch of the siblings who were in the study and tracking down records of their birth parents and stuff, Mm. they found that almost all the birth parents that they could find had mental health problems, schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, anxiety, addiction problems, Mm. other things. The boys had tracked down their birth mother when they were 19. Mm. When they very first found each other, they tracked her down. Um, And Eddie was the one who was desperate to find her, which is, you know, no coincidence, like considering he his adopted family was so awful. Of course he would want to find his birth mother. Mm. Um, They met her in a pub in New York city and said it was clear, like she had alcohol problems. Like, and they said she seemed like she'd had a difficult life. They, you know, she, she got pregnant with them in high school. It was just a kind of usual thing. They had a loose relationship with her over the course of the years Um, But they say that they think it's very possible that she was mentally unwell. Mm. Although they didn't know her well enough, though, to really know for sure. But they think it's likely. Mm -hmm. Um, So Lawrence Wright floats the possibility and some of the other identical siblings involved in the study actually believe that the study was about seeing whether or not you can stop mental health being inherited or not based on the way you raise someone. Mm-hmm. So Eddie mm-hmm. may have been the only one who took his life, but he wasn't the only one who'd had mental health issues. All three triplets had spent time in psychiatric hospitals when they were teenagers. They all say that they had extremely dark times growing up, mm-hmm. but Eddie did have the most emotionally distant and abusive father. And while the other two boys grew up to recover from their mental health stuff, Eddie didn't. Mm -hmm. He ended up with bipolar disorder. He ended up going into psychiatric care more times when he was an adult. And so was the way they were raised the reason that they had the strength, like was the support they got from their loving family the reason they went on to recover and Eddie couldn't? Mm. I mean, I don't, but the researchers involved say that the study, that's not what it was about. But Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? They insist it's all nature versus nurture. And both the researchers in the documentary seem convinced that the study proved that nature is it. Like not just the triplets, but all the siblings they found like are eerily similar despite being raised apart. So the researchers basically think biology determines who you are. So the woman, she's got this kind of, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know what her accent is, maybe German, but she says, you may not like to hear you don't have free will, but sorry, you don't. And she has this (laughs) smile on her face. Like she thinks that's so like funny. Like they basically say like, we, from this study, proved that 
your who you are is in your biology and you have no choice over it no matter what. Uh-huh. But Bobby and David and their families, along with Eddie's family, believe that the study actually proved the opposite. Mm. So they say that despite being similar in superficial ways, like the mannerisms and liking the same stuff, like all the stuff that made them TV gold in the 80s, mm. they were actually extremely different men. Mm. And they say it's that thing, like when you're first falling in love, which they were when they met, you want to highlight all the stuff that you have in common and mm. you sort of ignore the stuff that you don't. Yeah. And that's what they were doing at the start. And that's why it kind of seemed like this fairy tale and they wanted it to be this fairy tale. But over time, they realized just like any other people who meet as, adult, as adults that like they were very, very different mm-hmm. people. And they think that, was nurture and that's why Eddie died when the other two didn't. And I've got a few quotes here from their family members um, at the end of the documentary. It says, they say, I don't need to read any books. I don't need to read any studies. It's all about nurture. Deep down, they were incredibly different. This was not a study that proved biology is destiny. Nature and nurture both matter but nurture can overcome nearly anything. Mm-hmm. And that last one, re- like I started crying at that last quote mm-hmm. because like so much of this film resonated with me because these are questions that I've asked myself my whole life. Like I'm developing a TV show about it right now because mm-hmm. my mum was adopted. That really affected her. My mum grew up to be the woman that she was and, you know, I've often wondered... Uh, you know, I was sent to foster care, then sent back home, then sent to foster care, then sent back home and Mm. again and again and again and again. And people have often said to me, do you think that if you had been taken away from your mother when you were little and never sent back, would you be different today? Mm. Would you have like, because I've suffered from PTSD. I've talked about the mental health stuff I've had because of my childhood. And it's like, would I have had that stuff if I'd not been raised with my mum, mm. or was I, because my both my parents had mental health problems, was I just predetermined to have mental health problems anyway? Mm. Like, would it have been better for me to stay at home? Or like, it, just, all those questions about like who you are and the nature of existence. Oh my goodness, it's very overwhelming. It is, yeah. Big, big, big thoughts. Um, yes. Uh, but I think that I definitely agree with that sentiment that. You know, there's a biological component to who you are, but we're social animals. So the people that you're, you know, spending time with growing up, they're going to have mm. a massive, massive influence on you as you're forming and then into adulthood as well. So um, I think intuitively we've learned what we should have already known, which is it's a combination of the two. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's what... I, uh... And that's what the twins say at the end of the film. They think that's why Dr. Neubauer never released the results because there weren't any. Mm. Like they think that at the end of the day, he never published anything because he did, a, you know, a 25 year study that led to that exact conclusion. Oh, it's just a bit of both. Mm. Like, and why study something when you didn't definitively prove anything really exciting? Yeah. Um, it just yeah it's just it's really hard to believe when you stop and pause for a moment and think what would it be like if i found out today that i had a long lost twin that i'd been separated from and oh wait there's a triplet actually yeah okay so because they also say because you asked how many there were so uh there's this one guy the one who went around doing the tests Mm. he still has all these notes that he won't let them see by the way and he won't he's reading notes about the boys to the camera but he won't say the name of which boy he's talking about like he even keeps that from them um he's a bit of a dick that guy and he says that he um from what he knows that there has got to be like a few i think there's two other sets of twins that have found each other Mm. um, who were part of the same study. Um, Two of them wrote a book together. Two of them were in the 60 Minutes episode that was on last week. Mm. Um, But then this researcher guy says that he knows that there is at least 
um, four to six other sets of twins who do not know they were ever in the study. And so I know. So Lawrence Wright says that means there is a possibility, especially if your parents never told you you were adopted, which is quite common back then, Mm. you could be walking down the street tomorrow and literally bump into your twin. Like that is a possibility. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe there are people who don't know. There hasn't been an ethics committee or something that has intervened here. Well, okay. So. This is kind of the little postscript, I guess. Mm. Uh, Bobby is now a lawyer. He lives in Mm -hmm. Brooklyn with his wife and two kids. David is an insurance agent. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and three kids. Mm -hmm. The Louise Wise Adoption Agency is long gone. Mm. But since this film came out, there's an organization that oversees all the records and stuff. It's called like, because these were all Jewish children and the Louise Wise Adoption Agency specialized in Jewish adoptions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's something like the Jewish Children's Foundation, something, something, Mm -hmm. has taken control of all the records and stuff. And since the film came out, they released 10,000 pages of the study from the vault Mm -hmm. to give to Bobby and David. But the pages they released didn't tell them anything. There was no results on any of the pages and they were also heavily redacted. It was kind of just a lot of technical information about Mm -hmm. what happened on the visits and development of the boys and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you you know, what's the point of releasing 10,000 pages if there's nothing useful on Mm -hmm. any of them? But you know, they have come out and said, like, they only took over the records now. They regret that this happened in the past, but it was all to do with the Louise Wise Agency, which is no longer a thing. Mm. And it was all part of the study of this guy who is now dead. Mm-hmm. So technically, still, nobody knows what the study was really for um, and if there were any definitive results. And, you know, it's looking like that, mystery won't be solved until 2066 when the vault is finally allowed to be opened. How is that legally binding? How is the law not intervening here? I don't, yeah, I tried to look into it and it just got really detailed and I got bored of it. But (laughs) I know, I know that it's that thing, it's a legal thing. I don't know if it's a legal thing in Australia, but I do know it is in the US. Like, for example, um, I think it was a couple years ago that they finally um, released the JFK papers that had been locked in a vault um, until I think it was like 2018. And people were really excited because they thought it was going to uh, reveal information that, you know, he he really had Marilyn Monroe killed and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it did mm. release some, like there was some juicy stuff in there, but nothing like that. So they do have this thing in the US where they, lock you can lock papers away not to be released until a certain date Mm -hmm. but i mean if this foundation gave them ten thousand pages why not give them all the pages oh yeah they're hiding something obviously exactly wow and was the louise wise agency was that just a front for the um experiment or no so louise wise was a woman um, who I think it was uh, the early 19th century started an adoption agency in New York. Mm. Um, So she had died before all this happened, but, you know, her name was on the door. Mm -hmm. But, no, it was a legitimate adoption agency um, for years and years and years and years, specialising in, um, you know, Jewish families and Jewish Mm. children. And um, then I guess Dr Neubauer came to them um, and asked if they would do it. And they said, yeah. Okay. So they obviously offered them a really generous cash incentive to mess with people's lives. Wow. Um, So that is the story of those triplets. It's nuts. And I don't know whether this is relevant or not. I mean, it's a terrible thing for anyone to do, but we're talking about a time when, you know, the Jewish community was still reeling from all the things that they were learning about the Holocaust and all of these okay, human you know what experiments crazy? were being done. What? Dr. Neubauer was a survivor of a concentration camp during the Holocaust. And he still went on to do this, which is what a lot of people cannot believe. He experienced firsthand. Yeah. And then he went on to pay it forward. Wow. 
But people do say, and I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, he legitimately did think that this study was going to benefit children. And I mean, if you try to put your, you know, brain in line with his, you're like, okay, he's thinking I can eradicate mental illness in children if I figure this out. Or I can, you know, I think, like, I'm not saying that I, I don't think that's doable or I think it's stupid, but perhaps that is what he was, like, maybe he genuinely thought he was doing the right thing, but I think certainly by the end, he knew what a F up it was. And that's why he never published anything, hid it away, never talked about it, like locked it up. He had to have known he stuffed up in the end. So potentially we're going to have to wait another 46 years to find out Mm. what the truth was here and what the theory was that he was trying to prove. Because surely he had some sort of theory that he was trying to back up with this experiment. Well, they keep insisting it was nature versus nurture. I tend to kind of agree with the other people, though, who think that it was a study on mental illness. Mm. And that's why he looked for children who were born to parents, particularly birth mothers with mental illness. And he wanted to see if, you know, if he could eradicate it, get rid of it, depending on how you raise them. I, I don't know. It's... It could be any number of things. And this is the reason why, by the way, I think so. there are so many people, particularly Scientologists, who are <laughs> um, wary of psychiatry because it's tr- – but just like any other form of mm. medicine, over the years as they've developed it, some pretty horrific things have happened in the name of that development, mm. um, of that, you know, uh, what do you call it, discipline of that yep. – part of medicine like I mean psychiatry to me now saves my life like my Mm. psychiatrist literally has saved my life like my PTSD that I've had suffered since I was 17 oh my gosh if I wasn't seeing him if I wasn't being treated every week I would be lost but so it's gotten to a good place but oh my goodness they had to do some dodgy ass shit to get there well they didn't have to but they did there's a dark history to psychiatry yeah. and, and the treatment of mental health, a really dark history. And this is not very long ago. Yeah. And it was a massive, massive risk to take. And it doesn't seem like it paid off. A life was lost no. and, um, you know, many lives were deeply affected by it. This was a dark one. And why was it on 60 Minutes? Was Has there been a recent update or... I honestly don't know. That's why it really took me by surprise. Um, I don't think there's been a recent update. Um, they plugged the documentary in 60 mm. Minutes. I think the two siblings, the two twin sisters that they talked to as well in that episode, maybe they've written a book or something. I, But, um, yeah, they just randomly did this episode, which I was like, oh, my God, how is – can you not 60 Minutes? I've got an episode coming up. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, – <laughs> Yeah, so that's why it was just randomly on. But, I mean, like we always say, we give you just the gist. But if you want more, definitely watch Three Identical Strangers. It's mm-hmm. on Netflix and it is nuts. Uh, watch that episode of 60 Minutes from last week. It's probably on whatever Nine's streaming service is. Mm-hmm. Um, and read the article that Lawrence Wright eventually published in 1995 when he wrote he's the one who sort of blew the story of the study wide open and he's Mm -hmm. the reason a lot of those siblings found each other um it's nuts crazy (laughs) that is definitely a cool anecdote at a dinner party hey guys did you know you could be walking down the street tomorrow and bump into your twin there are what at least half a dozen pairs of twins out there who've been experimented on and intentionally do not know that they have an identical stranger out there Mm mm-hmm Wow. And you know what they say, how connected twins are? Like, they often say, like, they they are, they are have a connection that people mm. don't understand. And a lot of them, like, twins who've had a twin die when they were younger say they've never, they've always felt like a part of them is missing. And, like, there's probably, like, a lot of these people probably have some kind of feeling of emptiness or detachment and they don't know why. Mm. Like, and they'll never figure it out. Yeah. 
dark, dark story. <laughs> fascinating. Fascinating, right? Yes. Thank you very so, much for that one. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. I'm definitely um, going to go and push through and finish the documentary <laughs> when do, I'm not do. too hungover to absorb it. <laughs> yeah, because it's, oh my gosh, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, so love you. There we go. And, um, I'll see you next week, whatever beach you're on. I'll still be locked in this same house. I literally cannot go outside. So this time next week, I might have lost my mind. (laughs) Oh, I hope you've got your sykes on speed dial. Oh, yeah. No, I do, actually. And also, like, um, I'm going to decorate with my Polly Pockets. So (laughs) It's going to be fun. I'm sure I'll get daily updates. Can't wait. All right. All right. Love you. Love you. Ciao. Ciao.